0: I'm focusing really on intimacy with the Father. So I feel really encouraged by what God has already been speaking to us about this afternoon, um, and I'm excited about where we're heading. Because really, if we're gonna take this kingdom culture seriously, then we need to be a people of prayer, don't we? We need to be cultivating intimacy with the Father. And right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Lord's Prayer where Jesus outlines to us a pattern of how to pray. It's not a formula, rather I think this passage is a means to help us power up and actually start praying. And over the last kind of month or so, and over Easter, I've just found that I couldn't leave this passage alone. So it has been a great encouragement to me that Simon preached on this actually so recently too. It seems that this is another occasion of God saying something to us once and then underlining it. So, we're going to read the passage. So, I'm going to read uh, Matthew 6 and start at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, Father, we thank you so much that we can come to you confidently. Father, we thank you that we know that as your children, we are completely accepted, that we can come rushing, that we can come straight to your throne room. And Jesus, I thank you that your your teaching on prayer here is so practical. I thank you that you don't leave us guessing And God, I pray that as we look at this passage together now, that you would speak to us. And that you would get us excited about coming into your presence, Father God. Amen. Great. So I I really believe that God is indeed stirring us in this area of prayer. I believe he wants to keep on teaching us, actually, how to pray. And in Luke's version of these events, we are told the whole conversation about prayer comes about because one of the disciples goes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. So prayer is a kingdom tool. It's not wishing into the wind. We have a father who listens. And Jesus teaches his team this tool. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. And so there is this invitation to re-engage with our Father through prayer. And as I read this passage, it hits me how many times the word Father is used. Verse 6, pray to your Father, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 8, your father knows what you need. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our father. I know in my own prayer life, I too often approach prayer through my petitions rather than my position as his child. To come to God with my spiritual tick list rather than recognizing first and foremost who it is I'm coming to rather than learning to lean into my Father in a deeper way and learn more of his heart for me and for those around me. So today, as I've said, I want to focus really on this theme of intimacy. Kingdom prayer is about intimacy. And I want to ask the question, how? How do we cultivate intimacy in prayer? And we're going to look particularly at verses 5 to 9 of the passage to help answer this. Because in the middle of that, verse 6, Jesus gives us this advice. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The reward of intimacy with our Father happens in the secret place. Our outer public world is easier to deal with, isn't it? It's more measurable, more visible. But I think when we invest in our private world, the secret place that Jesus is describing here, the place where victories are prepared, we begin to see the impact that our prayers can have on the world around us. For us to be a people who have a powerful impact for Christ and his kingdom, we must nurture and maintain our inner life with the Father. We must regularly go to that abiding place in our hearts where his presence dwells. So we're going to look at what it means to build the secret place. I want to give some practical pointers from the passage, and then we're going to finish by looking at the purpose of the secret place. So firstly, three steps to building the secret place. Number one, prioritize the secret place. In my life, it seems to me that the people who change the world are the people who pray. The people who recognise that they're busy, juggling lots of things, spinning lots of plates, but say, I'm going to make prayer my priority. People who are intentional about prayer. And this always makes me think of a story that my friend Will told me. He um, became a Christian when he was at uni in his second year, and he hadn't um, come from a Christian background. I don't think he'd ever met a Christian, um, didn't really know what um, what Jesus was all about. But he went on an Alpha course and became a Christian when he was 20. And then he went home one weekend and thought, "Oh, I'll go along to the local church. Never done this before in my hometown." And he went along. And when he was there, he was really surprised and pleased to bump into his year two primary school teacher. So this was the lady that taught him when he was seven years old. And she was delighted to see him and said, what what are you here? You know, why are you here? And and he told the story about how he'd become a Christian. And she said to him that she had been praying for him when he was in her class as a seven-year-old. I just love that. It brings me so much encouragement. And actually, verse 5 makes the assumption that it's a given that Jesus' disciples pray. It says, and when you pray. Jesus doesn't say if. He assumes that we are regularly seeking the Father's presence. Cory ten Boom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Make an appointment with God and keep it. We make appointments, don't we, for the most important things in life. Why don't we with God? Now, we obviously can pray at any moment, but I think if we want to be intentional about building the secret place, this is good advice, to make an appointment and keep to it. Otherwise, the distractions of the outer world that scream for our investment will invariably win the battle for our attention. And this is a real challenge, isn't it? It's good to be realistic about this. There are some distractions that are easier to address than others. So time spent on social media versus a busy family life, for example. There are many external things that are not bad things. And I just encourage you to talk with God about how the secret place can be built alongside these things. Because it's going to look different for each of us. So that's the first step to building the secret place. Prioritise that time. And the second step in building the secret place is to be real. Verse 5 tells us, do not be like the hypocrites. There's a warning there. What reward are we seeking? We are told that the hypocrites have received their reward in full. They pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. They have their reward, the praise of men. Is that what we want? Or do we want the reward of meeting with our Father, to encounter his heart? This is about our motivation. Are we prepared for the possibility of being publicly set aside, overlooked even, unnoticed, if it means we gain the reward of cultivating intimacy with our Father, who tells us we can come into his presence just as we are, that we are completely accepted before we say a word, that we don't have to do a thing to earn his approval, that we get to say that we belong in his presence because he's made his home in our heart. And so Jesus wants us to be real in our prayers, to pray from our heart, to pray secretly. Verse 6, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father. When the door is closed, this is the place that we can really do business with our Father. And pouring out our heart to our Father he's going to look different for each of us. It's likely to mean saying what we really feel, those things that perhaps we haven't said to anybody else But to pray from the depths of us might mean saying no words at all. Or it might mean crying out with a torrent of words. We might not get all the answers that we expect, but this is the place we learn to lean into God in a deeper way. Have you ever noticed the difference between the way children and adults get places? I was recently um, watching shoppers in Solihull and um, just as I do often, they were frantic, just rushing from one place to another, winding out of the way of people, going round buggies and overtaking teenagers. And by contrast, there was a the little girl and it just struck me how she didn't need an explanation of where she was going. She didn't need to know what the plan was. She didn't know, need to know what shop she was going to next. She simply just took her mum's hand and allowed herself to be swept along. It didn't matter where she was going. What mattered was who she was with. Because security, especially in times of unanswered prayer, comes from sticking close to a competent and loving parent, like the Heavenly Father that we've got. When we come to God, we can let go of the need to have all of the information, all of the time. Because we know the reality is, if God told us every detail of our life in advance, we probably wouldn't understand it anyway. Ultimately, what matters is our ability to trust and follow a loving Heavenly Father. To listen to His voice, to let Him be in charge and to take us with Him. The third step in building the secret place is to remember your position. Building the secret place is about remembering your position as a child of God. Verse seven warns us, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Now, this verse is referring to the Gentiles, i.e. the non-Jews, who worshipped pagan gods. And we're told in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The pagans pray to some distant deity, hoping that by their many words they would be heard. We pray to our father, who knows what we need, even before we say it. Sometimes we can feel like the more words we use, the more effective our prayers are. What a relief just to be able to say it as it is. Prayer is not an exchange of information. You're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. What are you doing then? You're drawing near in relationship. Cultivating this intimacy with your father. He's there to be encountered, discovered, pressed into. He's there to be sought after. Longed for, pursued. And in this secret place, the Father has things that He wants to put on your heart. He wants to mold you and make you more like Jesus, to make your will align to His will. And so, as we remember our position as His children, we start by looking up. Verse 9, we are told to pray, Our Father in heaven. And Jesus says, this is the foundation for our prayer. You start by looking up from your circumstances and remembering who God is. Now, many of you will know that I often refer to my tendency to make lists, lists for every occasion. And I find, though, the problem with that is that sometimes I impose this on my prayer life. And the problem with doing that is that prayer can then be just reduced to a legalistic ticking activity that when I forget about it for a few days produces condemnation and guilt. Praying to my father should not resemble my shopping lists. Jesus says the opposite. When you pray, get your eyes off your own performance and get your eyes on him. That's where prayer starts. If we start by looking at ourselves, at our circumstances, at our needs, we'll start our prayer time panicking rather than starting in faith. And Jesus knows this. He says to pray effectively, you need to remember who your dad is. I heard someone recently liken this to when a baby utters its first words. It's so often, isn't it, mama or dada. And apparently this isn't just about language development, but about proximity. Because children recognise the face of the one they see the most. The one that cares for them. The one that provides them with love. And Jesus is saying it's exactly the same in prayer. Let that be the first word that comes out of our mouth. My Father... If we do nothing else but the Our Father bit of the Lord's Prayer, that is time well spent. Because that changes your whole perspective on everything. Being in the presence of your Father in prayer is key to experiencing what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter. Now we know, don't we, that the Hebrew word for Father is Abba. And this is a term of fond endearment. It's not really the equivalent, actually, of our word father. This is a bit formal. It's it's more like papa or dada. And so this is quite scandalous, what Jesus is saying here. When you pray, start with father. Refer to God as father, as dad. This is just revolutionary for the disciples. It just wasn't how the Hebrews were taught to pray. No one would presume such intimacy with God. They would have used titles like God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, or Holy One, Almighty One. Titles that actually underline distance from God. To call God Father speaks of a family relationship with God reminds us of the great lengths that Jesus went to on the cross in order to make this intimacy with God possible. The writer of the book of Hebrews says there is now a throne of grace and we can boldly approach the one that's seated on the throne any time, any moment, because of what Jesus has done. And we so therefore are never far from the presence of God. As we breathe the word Father, we're there before the throne and our father is waiting attentive desperate for us to encounter him and of course verse 9 reminds us that our father is in heaven it says hallowed holy be your name and I think if we remember that it protects us from just sauntering into the throne room not having just this casual expectation that God is going to be at our beck and call this is our father in heaven As we were remembering today in worship, he is the exalted one, the king of kings, the creator of the universe. And yet, at the same time, he is our father. So we've looked at what it means to build the secret place. Jesus is saying, number one, we are to prioritise this time when you pray. He says we're to be real, to pray privately rather than to be seen by men. And then he says, crucially, we need to remember our position. We come to a father who loves us and knows what we need. So I want to finish by looking at the purpose of the secret place. Because I think there's always the danger when focusing on the secret place that we can become introspective. Now, I don't think this is what Jesus intends for us. Rather, it is in this place of intimacy with the Father that he prepares us to be a blessing to others. It's not for us to keep to ourselves. We are to live out of the overflow of his heart for us. As his sons and daughters, we're not working for him, we're working with him. We go into the world to advance the kingdom from a place of his presence, to overflow to others from that place of intimacy with our Father. Now, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus reveals the importance of roots. Not just for the sake of having roots, but rather to produce a good crop. And to produce a crop in in soil, you need good, strong roots. And it's the same in our relationship with God. As we build the secret place, we grow our spiritual roots The parts of our life that nobody else sees. The secret life with God. The place where we really get to know our Father and what he's like. The place where truth is stored. Where breakthrough is prepared. Where dreams are birthed and incubated. And in the parable, Jesus describes what happens to those who do not have good roots. So Matthew 13 says, since they have no root, they last only a short time. But in contrast, those whose heart is like good soil, ready for deep roots to grow, in turn produce fruit. So verse 23 of that chapter says, this is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. I have recently revisited Adrian Horner's Prophecy for Jubilee back in January, and I want to read an extract. Now, you might remember he talked about seeing a flash mob. So we know these happen, don't they, in shopping centres or train stations um, or airports. There's a couple of examples up there. Everything seems apparently normal, and then suddenly a large group of people seem to spontaneously break out into this really complex choreographed dance or song. And the impact is immediate. People stop what they're doing and stare. And so Adrian said to us, I see a flash mob in Jubilee Church. They are all anonymous, but then on God's call, you are going to see you are going to be a church that pronounces the call and galvanises. The glory of a flash mob is when everyone comes together. There is unity in that, and there is a preparedness out of the public eye. As you pray in unity and preparedness in the background, God gives prominence. As you put the roots down, so the trunk can go up. Profile flows out of privacy. I love that. Profile flows out of privacy. What does that mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us to be prepared for the kingdom impact that Jubilee can have? Well, I think it's about this secret work that God does behind the scenes, in the background, as Adrian said. And I believe God is inviting us to re-examine our roots, the parts of our life that are below ground, not visible, our motives, our thought life, our giving, our praying. As the roots go down, so the trunk can go up. The secret place spills out to the culture around us. It starts with the individual, which in turn impacts the culture of the community. Remember the hypocrites? They wanted profile. They bypassed the private place of God's presence. They failed to grow their spiritual roots. Jesus tells us that the person who touches God's heart is somebody who is the same person in public as they are in private. And for that to happen, there is to be a preparedness out of the public eye. It is from this place of preparedness, this place of intimacy with the Father, that we can then be a blessing to others. You see, the rest of the Lord's Prayer is all about praying outwards. After starting by looking to our Father, Jesus calls us to look out. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From our position of sonship, Jesus is teaching us to pray, let your kingdom invade this planet in every area that I can think of. When we pray, we enable the extension of the kingdom, of God's rule and reign. When God's will and our prayers collide, things start to change. So as we finish, what are you asking him for? What are you expecting to overflow from the secret place, the place of his presence? God's not limited and neither should our prayers be. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. That's great, isn't it? Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. What are those areas in your life where you want God's kingdom to break out? Let's allow those things to drive us to build the secret place of intimacy with our Father, to press into him, to pursue him, to always start our prayers from our position of sonship as we pray, our Father. So how are your roots? How's the secret place with God? God is ready and waiting, isn't he? Mm -hmm. As the roots go down so the trunk can go up, are we up for that? As greater prominence and profile as a church comes, are we prepared? Are we watchful? Are we storing up for what's to come?